0: really can't justify the $8 in shipping, so you have to buy $40 of additional games.
1: Welcome to Cardboard
0: and Wine, Episode
1: 9. I'm Mamie.
0: And I'm Josh.
1: Grab a glass, pull up a chair, and let's talk about some games.
0: Today on the show, we add a pinch of cinnamon, a little bit of cardamom, and a dash of turmeric in exchange for 18 points. It's the deck-building set-collecting game, Century Spice Road.
1: So I have a confession this week, Josh. Okay, what's that? The wine that we're drinking was purchased at Walgreens.
0: Nothing wrong with Walgreens.
1: (laughs) Our wine cabinet was running a little low, especially on chilled wines, and I had to go there for something else. So here you go. This is the Dark Horse Rosé, and luckily for me, it's actually pretty good. It's a dry rosé, which I like. It's not too sweet, and it's kind of crisp and fresh, and it's very easy to drink on a hot summer night. What do you think?
0: Uh, well, I'm not really a, a rosé fan in general, but it's not too bad. You know, you're right about certainly get the crispness. Uh, it's not too sweet. I don't like sweet um, drinks in general, but I don't like sweet wines. Um, but this is not too sweet. I would say, had you not told me it was a Walgreens <laughs> special, I would not have known it. Uh, Although I don't want to assume anything, uh, what was the price point of this bottle of wine?
1: So that was the other thing, right? I grabbed it from Walgreens right in the middle shelf. Our Walgreens actually has a pretty decent wine selection. Who knew? I didn't know. know. (laughs) Um, (laughs) For $9. So for a $9 rosé from Walgreens, I think it's a pretty good find.
0: It's pretty pricey for Walgreens.
1: Um, I did Google it because I was just curious about it. And it does come from a winery in Modesto, California. And it looks like it's kind of a young, hip, edgy, female winemaker. So oh, I, think I like it, that. Yeah, me That's too. Cool. So I think it, it's a good buy, the Dark Horse Rosé.
0: Yeah, I actually think I've seen this label places other than Walgreens
1: yeah, as it, well. I think it's becoming pretty universally available.
0: Yeah, so what, what makes a rosé wine? So I've played Viticulture.
1: Right, and, and you just mix red and white.
0: <laughs> the game of Viticulture, <laughs> which is a great game, by the way. We'll talk about it at some point in the future. You can take a white wine and a red wine and mix them together and get a rosé wine. I I think
1: that's where rosé comes from.
0: (laughs) I'm not thinking that's really what rosé wine is.
1: So I believe a rosé actually is made with red varietals, but not all of the skin is left in during the fermentation process. Not enough to be a red wine. So that's why it's a rosé. It is not a blending of, of white varietal grapes and red varietal grapes like in viticulture.
0: Yeah, and actually um I was I was looking this up cuz I was I was curious. And at least on the Wikipedia page about rosé wines, it says it's very uncommon to have a simple mixing of red and white wine and is actually discouraged in certain reason, regions and in France it is forbidden by law.
1: Oh, wow. The <laughs> French don't mess around when it comes to their wine. I know.
0: I know. All right, Mamie. Well, we have been playing some games this weekend. So this is Memorial Day weekend here in the United States. So um, this is a long weekend. We were off work. Uh, Today's actually Monday. Today is Memorial Day when we're recording this. But we've had a long weekend. We actually did get some gaming in.
1: Yeah, we did. This past Saturday, we had a big game night. We invited over quite a few people, including our new friends, Dave and Jenny, that we met at the local con and then recently joined our guild in Board Game Geek, which is super exciting.
0: And they literally live right down the street, I think less than a mile (laughs) Yeah, I think they said they
1: could walk. They didn't because it's been kind of dark and rainy, but they could have. Yeah, so we invited them over, and we played Sagrada. We started with Sagrada, and then we played a game they brought called Number 9, which is the one that he had recommended to us. And then we had some more people that came over later in the evening. We ended up with a group of eight, and so we transitioned into playing Resistance Avalon. And then things devolved into joking hazard. It, w- it was a great night. It was a ton of fun, even though I somehow managed to spill not one, but two glasses of wine.
0: <laughs> yeah, you claimed that was because you were seated at the end of the table, so you kept having to reach. Uh, that during is the completely game of why hazard. my elbows yeah.
1: kept finding my wine glass. But luckily, no games were harmed. Yeah, I was so.
0: seated next to you, so that, I was the most unfortunate <laughs> victim of that circumstance. Did I splash you? Uh, a couple, yeah. Couple times. No, sorry. Resistance Avalon. That was a hoot.
1: Yeah, it was really fun. We got pretty intense with that.
0: Yeah, I will say, uh, you know, a lot of the people who came over had not met one another before. Um, we had some some coworkers, some friends, and and Dave and Jenny, who we've only met recently. And so it was kind of an interesting social experiment. We had all these people that didn't really know each other, and we are thrust into. Uh, we ended up playing three games of Resistance Avalon, and. That was intense. That was intense. anyone's not played that game before, it's a social deduction game, but lots of accusations flying and (laughs) yelling and cursing. (laughs) It's
1: funny how much louder we got from the first game to the third game as we got a little bit more comfortable either with the game or with our beverages. Yeah, I'll
0: say the hardest thing about playing multiple games of that and probably any social deduction game is it's really hard to remember that results of the previous game have nothing to do with who you are in the next game.
1: <laughs> yeah, you definitely wanted to accuse whoever was bad the time before. I happened to be a bad guy in all three games, which I think is unfair, but it worked out okay.
0: Yeah, that was, that was a lot of fun.
1: The other one that we really enjoyed from that night was number nine. They brought that one over and it was a blast. I mean, you went out and got it the next day. <laughs>
0: yeah, I was pretty excited. I checked online where I normally buy some games from Cool Stuff and it was sold out there. But I checked my local game store right down the street and they actually had a copy in stock. So did a little errand on Sunday and and picked up a copy of number nine. And while I was there, I also picked up a copy of Vinos.
1: Yes, which we will be playing soon. We're still in the punching and organizing phase.
0: Yeah, that's a big, that's a big guy. But uh, that's one we will look forward to talking to on a future show.
1: And you have a big event gaming event coming up this weekend.
0: Yeah, I am super excited that Friday I leave for 3 nights in the mountains for Joshcon 3 and I sent out the list just today of games that I was thinking about bringing to the other friends in my game group and and just started getting really pumped for for this weekend. You know, it was funny we're we're renting a VRBO so that's like an Airbnb type type thing. And and when you rent one of those to before you're approved to rent the house, you have to give the owner the reason for your visit. (laughs) (laughs) So um, I never know how detailed that needs to be. But uh, so I wrote this nice little paragraph about how we were a (laughs) group of guys coming to play board games
1: for three days in the mountains. For three
0: days in the mountains, and hoped that that didn't sound too weird.
1: Sounds perfectly normal to me.
0: Yeah, she wrote back and said that sounds lovely. I think this will be a perfect spot to do that. So, so I'm pretty excited. It's sort of back. Uh, it's in the mountains. It overlooks a nice river. There's a nice porch. It looks very peaceful, uh, but not too far from town. So, should be great. I'm excited. I uh, sure I'll have lots to report back on that next week. And speaking of, we are also looking forward to Dice Tower Con.
1: Yeah, I'm super excited for our first big gaming convention. I think you've been scheduling us for a few different games to play.
0: Yeah, there's a big list on Board Game Geek, and I have been signing us up for a few games, especially on that first day, just to uh, to get our feet wet and to play a couple of games that we've been wanting to play. But I, I really wanted to say, if any of our listeners are going to happen to be in Florida for Dice Tower Con um, in July, we'd love to meet you and maybe even play a game together. So if you're going to be there certainly get in touch with us. Send us an email, cardboardandwine at gmail.com. You can tweet at us boardandwine or join our Board Game Geek Guild. Can't wait to meet some new folks and play a bunch of games. And, and maybe I showed you this the other night, but that pool at the resort looks pretty sweet.
1: Yeah, I am hoping that the weather is good and that it's not too incredibly hot for Florida in July and that We will get some time by that pool.
0: Yeah, it is going to be great.
1: Books and board games. It should be a great week.
0: (laughs) It should be. Well, why don't we jump in and talk about our game of the week? In Century Spice Road, players take the role of caravan leaders along the famous Silk Road, trading and delivering spices to gain profit, fame, and glory. The play area consists of two rows of face-up cards— Five face-up cards on the top row from an orange deck display victory point values of varying amounts that can be achieved by collecting certain sets of spice cubes. On the bottom row, there are six face-up cards from a purple merchant deck that allow players to gain spice cubes into their possession, trade those cubes for more valuable sets of cubes, or to upgrade spice cubes to better spice cubes. On a player's turn, they can play a card from their hand, performing the action on the card, They can acquire a new merchant card, or they can take a rest, which allows players to take all the cards they've played back into their hand. Lastly, they can trade in sets of spice cubes to claim point cards. The game ends during the round where a player claims their fifth point card. The highest number of points is the winner. All right, Mamie, what interested us about Century Spice Road?
1: Well, this game was compared to Splendor, and... That's a game that we really enjoy playing. We've played it a lot, especially it's, you know, a great two-player game. And we're always on the lookout for games that are fun and interesting and that play well with two people in a reasonable amount of time on a weeknight. And that this game seemed to fit that description. So I think you were trying to round out a game order.
0: Yeah, I think this is a game that ended up that way. I have this weird phenotype. I'm sure I'm not alone. We have a tendency to order order games from cool stuff and and they have a free shipping when you hit the $100 order. And, you know, I really can't justify paying the $8 in shipping. So you have to buy $40 of additional games exactly. <laughs> to avoid the $8 <laughs> of shipping. Uh, so I think this game was one of those, although it's not that expensive. Um, but yeah, you know, I think I avoided getting this game for a while. This is a game we we got more recently, actually. Because I'd heard the comparisons to Splendor, and and we really love Splendor, but... You know, I wasn't sure if I could justify owning this game and Splendor, hearing a lot of the similarities. But then I thought, well, you know, uh, I, so I watched a video about it, and it looked pretty fun and, and looked really right up our alley and like the type of game we would get a lot of plays of on a weeknight together.
1: And, you know, while it is like Splendor in some ways, I think it's, it's enough different. I mean, the, the components of the game are very different.
0: So let's talk about this game. Mamie, what do you think about the components of Century Spice Road?
1: Well, you know, the basic components are pretty simple. It's two decks of cards and four colors of wooden cubes. Oh, and there are a few coins. But the real standout component that makes this game unique are the little plastic bowls that house those spice cubes. They're cute and they sort of add to the feeling that you're, you know, grabbing a handful of spices out of the little bowl, even though the quote-unquote spices are really just wooden cubes. But I also like that those cubes, the colors are, they're really vibrant colors, and they also are, you know, related to the spices that they represent. There's yellow turmeric and red saffron and green cardamom and brown cinnamon, And grabbing them out of that bowl really does sort of feel like you're grabbing a handful of spices. And the cards that are part of this game, they're nice quality. They're a little bit larger than traditional playing cards. The artwork is really thematic. And the caravan cards, which are the ones where you house your spice cubes, they're really beautiful. Oh, and the coins are solid metal, which I always appreciate a nice metal coin. So they're simple components, but they're really quality.
0: Yeah, I think that's a a great description of the components. I don't have uh, really any complaints there. So so let's talk about the gameplay a little bit. One thing I really appreciate in a game is when the setup is pretty easy when it doesn't take a lot of time to go from hey, what do you want to play? Let's play Century Spice Road to actually starting to play <laughs> Century Spice Road. And and the game setup I find to be pretty straightforward. Another thing I appreciate about this game are the way the components are stored in the box. All the cubes are already in those little spice bowls that you mentioned, and I agree, those are pretty cool. They, they have sort of a little terracotta color to them. They actually are pretty cheap plastic. But, right, but they look <laughs> but they, cool. They do look really cool. But one important thing to me is the cubes are stored in those little bowls, and they actually stay in the bowls pretty well, even when the game is stored on its side. Which yeah, we weren't I was sure about of. that,
1: but it does work.
0: It does. Other than that, they're the two decks of cards that you mentioned. And to set up, you really just give those a little bit of a shuffle. And since you're never really making sets of cards, they stay pretty random. And then you flip over five orange point cards in the top row and six purple merchant cards And then you set up some coins, um, and I can talk a little bit about those coins that you mentioned, Mamie. I am really impressed they included metal coins as a standard component in this game. I kind of wish that was something that more game makers would do, is replace those cardboard chit coins with metal coins.
1: Yeah, I hate the cardboard chit coins. The metal coins are just so much nicer and easier to handle and move around. Well, and it one point, we've kind of wondered a little bit about what the purpose of those coins are, but I think they're actually kind of important in incentivizing you to go after the point cards that are at the front of the line.
0: So really what you're trying to do is is you're trying to acquire the point cards from that top row. And on each of those cards, there's a number, and that's the number of points that you will get for acquiring that card. But underneath that are certain combinations of cubes. So there might be two brown cubes, a green cube, and a red cube, or there might be four brown cubes, or one of each. Um, So those those are the sets of cubes you're trying to acquire. Once you acquire those cubes as an action, you can trade those cubes back in and acquire one of those point cards. Now, each of the rows refreshes itself in sort of a conveyor belt fashion. So if you were to claim one of those point cards, you would take it into your possession, and, and those coins Mamie mentioned, those are over top of the first two cards in the row. So if you were to claim one of those point cards, you would also get a coin which would give you some bonus points. And so I think you're right. I think the idea is to increase the competition for specific cards in the row. But once you take one of those cards, you replace it by a new card, but... You do that by shifting all the cards down like a conveyor belt to fill in the empty spot, and then you flip a new card over at the back of the row. That becomes a little bigger deal for the bottom row, which are those merchant cards. And these are really the cards where the meat of the gameplay takes place. So on those cards, uh, really, I guess there are three different things that those cards could do for you. They're cards that just give you cubes straight up, so... Maybe it gives you three yellow cubes, which are the lowest value cubes, or even a a red or a green cube. Or they might enable you to trade cubes for more valuable cubes. So you might have a card that enables you to trade three yellow cubes for a green cube. Uh, And then last there are these upgrade cards that enable you to trade in a less valuable cube for a more valuable cube one or two steps higher. Um, And I guess we should mention kind of a key facet of the game is these four Types of spices have relative value. So the yellow turmeric cubes are the least valuable, followed by the red, then the green, then the brown cinnamon cubes being the most valuable cubes.
1: And one of the things that's interesting with those merchant cards is you can take the card on the far left for free. But if you want to take a card, any of the other five cards, you have to place a cube of spice. You have to basically pay a spice to all the merchants in front. In order to take that other one, and so sometimes the first card, if it's not very desirable, starts to build up, and then it incentivizes taking that one because not only do you get the merchant card, but you get all the spices that that merchant's been paid up to that point.
0: Yeah, and I think that's a really, a really neat mechanic that I enjoy. Uh, it's one I've seen in another game I played that's very different than this one, Pax Renaissance, where it has this conveyor belt style of of refreshing the a row of cards. But it really does make sure that cards don't stagnate on the line. So maybe, as you said, maybe maybe there's a card that came out at the very front of the line that's not very desirable. But once it has two or three cubes on it that you get for free for picking it up, um, at some point someone's going to bite and and get that one off the row and refresh it with a new one. I think that's a cool mechanic. At its heart, I suppose this is a deck building game. A lot of what you're doing is gaining, gaining these merchant cards that then you have available to you to play multiple times throughout the game. And and, and while this is a game that, that plays relatively quickly, um, you can put in some planning that can be helpful in building an engine. So, for example, maybe you get a card that gives you two red cubes, and then there's another card out there that allows you to turn a red cube into a brown and two yellows. Then you have another card that turns those yellows into a green, and then you throw in an upgrade card, and suddenly you have this fairly efficient engine at generating lots of different types of cubes um, pretty quickly so that you can go after some of those point cards on the top row.
1: Yeah, and while it there's definitely that deck building component, and I would say that's probably the central part of the game, the secondary part of this is the set collecting game. I mean, you have to get those cards to get the spices, but then you also have to get those spices so that you can get the scoring cards so you're trying to collect sets of spices so it's deck building and set collecting
0: yeah and I think and those are two two mechanics of games that I really enjoy, so that was actually really what pushed me over the edge of, of getting this game I was like, oh that sounds fun. you get to build your deck in order to collect sets like that sounds amazing let's do it um, and we like cooking, so I like the spice. Right, the spice theme, yeah.
1: Um, I would say that deck building component is probably one of my favorite things about this game.
0: You do like a deck builder,
1: I love a deck builder. I mean, deck building games are some of my favorites. Um, Dominion is probably my one of my favorite games of all times, and I love that. I love that balance between building your hand and building your deck, and then also collecting the sets, and you know. You don't want to take too long to build your hand or you'll miss out on obtaining points. And I just like that balance in this game. I think it's it's well balanced.
0: Yeah, so speaking of favorites, what's your favorite thing about this game, Mamie?
1: Well, I definitely like that deck building component, but I also, I think this game is pretty zen. I think we could probably play Almost Silently. There is a little bit of competition, especially if another player takes the scoring card that you're hoping to take, that gets a little frustrating sometimes. But for the most part, you're kind of focused on building your own little engine and your own little spice empire. And it's not totally simple, but it's easy enough to know kind of what the right action is each turn. It's not too much of a brain bender. You're just kind of moving those cubes and moving cards. And I I like that. Like it's relaxing sometimes at the end of a long day. Uh, it's also pretty quick. I mean, I don't know our stats. You probably do. Uh, I do. Okay, how long does it typically take us?
0: Our average game has, is 22 minutes.
1: Oh, awesome. I, was and gonna... I, w-
0: I will say we have been really consistent because I looked at the last five times we've played this game, and and at least I didn't look at all of them, but the last three were 21, 22, 22. <laughs> so, <laughs> is that
1: even if it wasn't a two-player game?
0: Uh, I think those were all two-player games, so okay. that does have that caveat. I imagine it would be – well, actually, I don't think it would be a lot longer because one thing I should mention is for a two-player game, you play until someone collects six of the point cards, whereas in a three- and four-player game, you play to five. So um, potentially it could be pretty, pretty similar to game length. I, I don't think it would go much longer.
1: I was going to say, we have played three- and four-player games, and they are not long. I, I maybe a little bit longer, but they don't seem to be long. And I like that. I mean, on a weeknight when we're playing something, I want it to be something we can get out quick and play and it's not too exhausting. And so that's what I like about it.
0: Yeah, I agree. I love that the gameplay is pretty quick. The gameplay, the game length seems about right for a game um, of this weight. So is there anything you don't like about the game?
1: You know, I I knew you were going to ask me that, because you always do. Um, and honestly, I can't really think of anything. I can imagine maybe if we played it a whole lot, it would get boring, because there's not a lot of variability, aside from which cards come out. But we have played it quite a bit, and I'm still really enjoying it. So I can't even say that. Um, I think right now it's one of my favorite go-tos for a quick weeknight game. There's nothing I really don't like.
0: I agree. I've, I've really enjoyed all of our plays of this. I don't I don't have any big complaints I guess a, a few a few minor things. So you mentioned that that you think the game is zen, and and I definitely see where that comes from. And and I suppose it sort of is, but for me, especially with the comparison of Splendor, and I know, Mamie, we have talked a lot about how Splendor has was probably our most zen game, the one that we really (laughs) kind of get in this little uh, trance where we're playing Splendor without a word and we're focused on the game, um, but not in a stressful way. For me, this one is not quite to that level. And I was thinking about why that might be. And I think part of it is there are just a a few more things that you have to be mechanically thinking about and doing in this game that you don't have to in Splendor. For example, um, in Splendor, you take a card, when you, when you claim a card, you just re- flip a new one and replace it. Whereas in this one, take a card, then you have to slide all the other ones down and then flip another one. And kind of that additional action of sliding all those cards down, as <laughs> they don't slide just right, uh, kind of breaks me out of that. Zen that, that you might talk about. It
1: breaks your trance.
0: Of course, maybe it's because I'm usually the one that has to flip it's over. It's true. Maybe that's <laughs> why I'm allowed to be more in the Zen mode.
1: You take care of managing that.
0: That's true. That's true. And thinking about holding the cards in your hand versus you know when you want to put them down and pick them up. Mm. Um, I mean, I mean th- those are not bad things at all. But just comparing that to Splendor, I don't get quite in that Zen mode. Playing Century Spice Road as I do in Splendor. And this is a super nitpicky thing, but I do agree. I like the theme and I think the card art looks great, but I wish there were a few additional scenes depicted on the cards. I think I should have gone through and actually counted, but I think there are only seven or eight different scenes on each of those merchant cards. So it's not unusual to get two to three within that row of six that have identical art on them. They have different values, different um, trading values for one type of cube for another. Uh, but there's definitely a lot of repetition in the art that's used. And I like the art. Uh, it would just be nice if there was a little more variation in the drawings. should mention, too, I'm not sure if the Gollum edition differs in this respect. And we should mention there are two versions of this game that are out there. There's the regular Century Spice Road edition. Then there's the Gollum edition, which is essentially exactly the same game. But the theme and the artwork are totally different. So instead of Spice Traders, there are these golems. What would the definition of a golem be? These monster-friendly monsters.
1: Maybe <laughs> I'm not sure I know what card? a golem is.
0: Yeah, these these. But f- they're
1: collecting jewels, right? Yeah, these instead friendly beasts, spices. and you
0: are collecting jewels instead of spices. And and I know, at least reading threads online, I think the majority of people seem to prefer the golem edition. Uh, I looked at both when we purchased this game, and for, for me, and my taste, I enjoyed the the historical, the spice theme, and the little spice bowls. But you should be aware that there are two themes out there, depending on what floats your boat. Uh, which one do you like better, Mamie? You've seen both.
1: Well, you know me. I, I like history. I taught history for a few years. And I love to read historical fiction and nonfiction. So the theme of this was really right up my alley.
0: And I'll say, too, the original intent of this game, and we'll talk about that in a second, is that this would be the first of a trilogy. Three games exploring different centuries and this spice theme. And so there's a game that's coming out really soon. It's actually on pre-order right now. The next game in this series called Century Eastern Wonders, and it takes place the century following Century Spice Road and focuses on the discovery of the Spice Islands. And so it has the same four spice cubes, um, actually has the same four colors of cubes. I think they actually represent different spices, but it has these modular boards and little boat meeples and outpost meeples. It looks really interesting. That sounds awesome. Yeah, no, it does sound interesting. And the thing that's really intriguing about it is it's its own new game on its own. But apparently there's a rule set that comes with it that combines both of the games. It's called from sand to sea.
1: oh, that's awesome. I like the I like the ability for this to grow and to be like a historical progression. I'm curious what the third one will be.
0: yeah, and I say that only to say I'm not sure if the Gollum edition uh, would support the the mixing with the the new game so. That was what led me to get the one that we got. But anyway, it's worth noting this other game is is out for pre-order now. So when would we break this game out? You know,
1: I think we can break this out with almost anybody. The kids came down the other day when we were playing, and they were very interested. Uh, our daughter actually kept asking me about it the next day. What was that game that you were playing? What was in those little balls? What were you doing? I think they could maybe give it a try. It There's a level of planning that I think would be difficult for them, but as we've said before, sometimes I also think we maybe sell them short. I think it's rated eight and up. So who knows? It's definitely great for casual gamers. I think that's kind of the ideal audience here. People that are looking for something a little heavier than a party game, but aren't ready for something super intense. But that said, I think our gamer friends also enjoy it when we've played with them. I don't think you've played it with the game group yet, but we've definitely played with our friend Megan, who's a little bit of a heavier gamer, and she really enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, I think anyone could jump in and play this game. You know, certainly, if you like set collecting types of games, you'll enjoy this. And And if you like Splendor, I know a lot of people have played Splendor, there's a high chance you'll also like this game. I would say it is slightly more complex than Splendor since you have some additional steps to do of collecting the cards to upgrade or trade in your cubes for different cubes versus really just collecting the the gems and the sets in Splendor. Although interestingly, I was curious about this. I looked on BoardGameGeek and Splendor has a slightly higher weight rating than Century Spice Road, although it's super close, probably within the margin of error. But I think this one would be a little more complex to explain to a non-gamer than Splendor, just because there's a little more to hold in your head and a few more moving parts. So thinking about introducing this to someone who's brand new to strategy board games, I think there are some concepts that would be a little harder to wrap your mind around at first compared to a game like Splendor. Another thing I've read is that this game is not very colorblind friendly with the, the red and green cubes that are identical shape and size being so integral to the game, the cubes themselves, but also the way they're depicted on the cards. Uh, because really, differentiating the colors of the cubes is kind of everything. Yeah, <laughs> it's essential. Game. I
1: hadn't even thought about that. But if you were not able to distinguish between red and green, you would pretty much be unable to play because you couldn't see it on the cards or in the cubes.
0: Yeah, and I think I think that's unfortunate and definitely mm-hmm. something you should think about if, if you or, or someone you play games with a lot deals with. Uh, the Gollum Edition may be better. I'm not sure. You might want to do a little research on that. All right, so let's give our final thoughts on Century Spice Road. I will remind our listeners we have our 5.1 wine-related rating scale, where a 1 is a sad, dusty, empty old bottle of wine ready to be uh, discarded. A 2 is a two-buck chuck, bottom shelf, Walgreens. <laughs> <laughs> um, a three, a three would be like a wine in a box. There, it has its place. There are things you like, things you don't like. A four would be like a nice rosé that we're enjoying today. It would be um, middle a middle to top shelf, shelf at Walgreens. <laughs> 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 Something that you yeah, definitely enjoy and would look forward to enjoying some more. And five would be a big, bold Cabernet that will only get better with age. So, Mamie, uh, what are your final thoughts and rating on Century Spice Road?
1: So as I said, I really enjoy this game. I think right now it's one that we pull off of our shelf a lot. If we're looking for something to play on a school night and it's just the two of us, this is a top choice. So for me, I'm going to give it a four. It's not quite a five because I do think it might get a little repetitive over time. I realize I'm really pretty stingy with my fives, but it really is that easy to enjoy regularly. I've played it a lot. I'm looking forward to playing it some more. I think we'll get a lot of play out of this one in our future. And now that I know about the new century coming out, that's really exciting to me. That might bump it up to a five, but we'll have to wait and see.
0: So for for me, this game certainly fits into the wheelhouse of games that we get to the table frequently. It plays all the, all the reasons why I purchased it ended up being true. It plays great with two players. Plays quickly. It has some interesting decisions. I definitely can see why many people have compared it to Splendor, which is a really popular and great game. But for me, for a game of this weight, I think I still enjoy playing Splendor more. I think it's a little less fiddly. Not that Century Spice Road is overly fiddly, but I don't get into that Zen mode that I get into with Splendor that I really enjoy. I think there can be space on our shelf for both games. And like you, Mamie, I'm really intrigued about these future Century games and how they might fit together. Overall, though, this is a solid, fun game that I enjoy playing. I love colored cubes, and I love trading <laughs> cubes for other cubes, and also really like the spice theme. There's something about this game that doesn't quite captivate me to the level of a few other games that we play, even games on the lighter side. But, you know, I really can't think of that many things that are bad about this game or that I dislike. So I think for now, I'm going to give it a conditional four out of five. Uh, we'll see maybe how we feel over time. But, but, you know, when I really think about it, I'd be super happy if you said, hey, do you want to play a game of Century Spice Road? So I think I'm going to go for four out of five for me right now.
1: Hey, we agreed. We agreed. Yay. Yay. All right, thanks for listening to Cardboard and Wine. For show notes, links, and other fun info about the games we discuss on the show, you can visit our website at cardboardandwine.com.
0: If you have feedback on the show or suggestions for a future show, we'd love to hear it. You can send us a tweet at board and wine, email us at cardboardandwine at gmail.com, or jump into our guild on BoardGameGeek. You
1: can also leave us a review on iTunes. We'd love to hear from you. Since we are a brand new podcast, it'll help new listeners find the show.
0: Until next time, cheers cheers and and
1: happy gaming!